Welcome to another edition of Market Impact Insights, your podcast source for business leadership perspectives to help your business grow. Hear from experts in marketing, sales, business strategy, and more with practical advice for business success. Make sure you won't miss the latest episodes by visiting marketimpactnow.com. Now, here's your host, Dan Albaum. Welcome back, everyone, to another amazing episode of Market Impact Insights. In my book, The Impact Makers, I talk about the power of relationships both inside and outside of organizations. And of course, the external to organization relationship, important one is with customers. And customer experience is a huge driver in strengthening that relationship and you might ask, you know, what what does it matter? Why is that important? Seems like a very generic question, but in going and looking at the research, it's really compelling from a business perspective, from a revenue perspective, customer experiences everything. Temkin Group looked at companies that earn $1 billion annually, and they project that those companies can expect to earn on average an additional $700 million within three years of investing in customer experience. If you look at software as a service companies, it's even more compelling. They can expect to double their revenue. That's right, another $1 billion by making that customer experience investment. So we're gonna explore this whole area of customer experience with a true passionate expert. Greg Kilstrom is a best-selling author, 11 books so far, a speaker, an entrepreneur, currently an advisor and consultant to some of the world's top companies. He focuses on marketing technology, customer experience, and digital transformation initiatives. He's the principal and chief strategist at GK5A. He's a fellow podcast host. He hosts the Agile Brand with Greg Kilstrom, and he's a two-time CEO and co-founder. He grew both of his companies organically and through acquisitions and ultimately was acquired. Now listen to this roster of companies that Greg has worked with. These are world leaders, world-leading brands, Adidas, Choice Hotels, Coca-Cola, Dell, FedEx, HP, Marriott, MTV, Starbucks, Toyota, VMware, and many more. So Greg, welcome to Market Impact Insights. Oh, thank you so much. Looking forward to talking with you. So let's go back. And something I I love to ask my guests is we all have our own unique journey to get where we are. There are passions, or maybe sometimes it's triggered by a life event and inspiration. And I'm curious, what fueled your interest in this whole area of marketing technology and customer experience? Yeah, sure. So, you know, my, one of my first jobs out of college i was i i was a web designer back in the day you know this was in the 90s at the really at the advent of of the web and so came from a creative and graphic design background really and you know so i got a job at a startup uh one of those that you've never heard of them at this point because they were one of those that um had had a nice ride for a few years in the early 2000s and and then um went away um but you know in that process i I became the head of product design during my time there and got the opportunity to work with some really smart marketers, uh, some really smart 
software engineers and really just started seeing that, you know, I, I liked doing design and, and found value in it. But what I really liked was this kind of nexus of technology marketing and um, create creative UX, whatever, whatever you want to call it. And so I really started trying to find ways that I could do all of that. You know, I don't write code and, you yeah. know, I don't design anymore, but I like being involved in, in all of those kinds of things. And so, you know, shortly after that company um, kind of ran its course, I started a digital experience agency, really digital marketing was a relatively new thing. Social media marketing had social media didn't really exist, particularly in the form it does today. All, all of these kinds of um, digital marketing technologies and, and things really didn't exist back in 2003 when I started the company. But I, I started it, I ran it for about 14 years and saw the advent of those things that I mentioned and more. And I sold that company about six years ago at this point. And, um, you know, ha with, with the agency, I had an opportunity to, to work with some of those brands you mentioned. Since selling, um, I had an opportunity to write books and do some speaking and really kind of focus on not only thought leadership and you know, starting the podcast, but also diving a little deeper on what I really love doing as an advisor and a, and a consultant for, I would say, increasingly larger brands and increasingly more complex problems. And that kind of brings us to today. Yeah, it's really interesting. You, you talked about social media and I was just thinking to myself, Greg, remember a time when, what would we have done without social media? We somehow, we somehow survived. Right, when it wasn't right. that intrinsic part of our day, right, or moments, and uh, we've come so far, and and what technology has enabled, and obviously, you know, this whole um, customer experience reality is so different today than even what it was, say, ten years ago, fifteen years ago. And I know your your recent book, House of the Customer, you're, you're talking about what the future looks like. How is it different, and and where is this all heading? Yeah, I, so I think the Definitely, definitely a different world today versus, you know, pick, pick a, pick a time frame, a decade, you know, 20 years, um, definitely, um, several, several things there that kind of brings us to today is, um, the concept of multi-channel or omni-channel customer experience really, you know, ba back in the day, there were, there weren't, there weren't as many channels that, you know, before the iPhone existed, yes, there were mobile phones, of course, and there were Blackberries and, and some other things. But the idea that mobile was a true way to communicate with, you know, and access the internet and communicate with brands and stuff really, really didn't exist. There were still primarily phones. So, you know, a whole new channel exists that that didn't before um back 15 years ago or so on average in the buying in the buying cycle a, a consumer would use maybe two to three channels during that process now on average they're using between five and six channels out of a total of about 15 total mm. so you know this could be brick and mortar retail no. this could be you know online on their laptop online on their smartphone pick up the phone, live chat, you know, you name it. There's, you know, there's, there's a lot of different ways. So that's, a, that's a huge thing. I, I would say the other thing that, that has really changed is customer expectations are continuing to grow and, and um, 
impact brands more and more, which is the, an easy example would be Amazon next day shipping, right? So, you know, before that existed, I don't know, you order something and it kind of gets there. You can pay for two day or whatever, but like, if you don't want to pay for premium shipping, it kind of gets there when it gets there. Right. And so now we all, myself included, have this expectation, no matter what I buy, wherever it's from, I, I should get it next day or else why wouldn't I just buy it from Amazon? Right. So that's, that's really, um, I think the, those consumer expectations kind of across the board have, have changed things. And then, you know, to answer your, your question about the future, in some cases, it's more of the same as far as expectations are rising. Expectations in one industry are translating to another. So, you know, we expect the same ease of use in with our bank or healthcare that we do, again, ordering something off of Amazon. Now, does that happen? Probably not all the time, but um, that's those are our expectations. I would say the the thing that um, goes alongside that is we also have expectations that brands are going to treat our data with um, care and not get hacked and you know yes. um, apply data regulations and all those things. So there's this sort of like I want a brand to know everything about me so they can tailor my experience and and give me the best possible customer experience. But I also want them to be really really careful with all that data that I provide them to to personalize it. That is interesting. We're kind of walking that tightrope of um, the more intimacy, the more you know about me, but then it's uh, there's the vulnerability there um, yeah. that can come yeah. with that. It, it is really interesting. And you've worked with so many large, successful, big time brands. I'm curious when you look at the landscape today, are there uh, some brands that are jumping out to you in terms of doing a really good job of leveraging technology and enhancing the experience of their customers? Yeah. I mean, there, you know, there, there definitely are, I will say, you know, having worked with, you know, fortune 100s, 500s, 1000s, you know, it's, um, it's not even necessarily the biggest companies that are doing it well. I, you know, I think there's a lot of assumptions uh, across the board of, you know, a very large company. Yes, they have the resources and, they probably have the infrastructure to to do just about you know whatever they might need, but they have a lot of other hurdles in the way. As far as they may have too much infrastructure, you know they may have you know when you get into these large orgs, they have a they have one of everything. You know they've got Salesforce and Adobe and Microsoft and you know all of these different platforms with customer data in them, and everybody's got every product line or division or um, region in some cases you know, they kind of have their own flavor of everything. And so in that way, a lot of the large orgs, they kind of get in their own way of, of providing a better, a more, you know, cohesive view of the customer and everything like that. Um, there are, you know, there are, there are definitely standouts and, you know, I would say the, one of the things, and, and I talk about this quite a bit in the book too, is, you know, it's not just technology that's, um, that's the driving factor here. It's also the people and how, the people look at their roles in terms of customer experience as well. And I think, you know, the, the brands that really lead that we talk about often, you know, the, the Southwest airlines and the Chick-fil-A's and, you know, some, some others that always come to mind when, when we talk about these, these things, they invest in technology, some more than others, you know, they, they invest heavily in technology to make things better, but they also invest heavily in their people and their training 
and just the understanding that yes, the customer comes first, but the employee is the one serving them. And so you got to take care of them too. Yeah. When you, you mentioned Southwest, because they were traditionally this case study and customer obsessed, customer focused, but they had, they had some real uh, bumps the last couple of months, yeah. right? You know, and yeah. they, so it was interesting to see, you know, going through a crisis, almost massive proportions and just from an operational perspective. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's tougher, you know, just at some point, uh, you know, it's, any relationship, you know, whether it's a, a business consumer relationship or, you know, it's going to hit some bumps. I, I think the, the, um, the, the key thing is, you know, what do you do when you hit those bumps? Right. I, to me, that's the test of any relationship, whether it's business or, or personal is like, okay, well, it, it's always fun when things are going well. And, you know, when a brand is treating you well and, and, and giving you what you need and, and things feel really relevant, but, what do they do when there's a problem? You know, what is a, what does an auto company do when there's a recall? What is, you know, what does Southwest airlines do when there's, uh, you know, some, a lot of <laughs> scheduling difficulties and, and things like that. You know, I, I just a quick example, different airline, and I won't mention the name, but different, you know, I was on a flight just the other day and coming back from a conference and um, my flight was delayed we got on the plane, flight was delayed two hours, had to get off the plane. Not a problem. You know, everyone was super nice and it was no one's fault or anything like that. But the next day I get a survey from that airline as if nothing happened, just saying, asking like, we hope your flight was pleasant. And it's like, you know, come on, like, don't send me that survey. I would have answered very nicely to them if they asked me, how did we handle a rough situation? Yeah, they did a yes. phenomenal job. But instead, they asked me, "Was your flight great?" and or you know some variation of that. And I was, you know, I I ignored it because it was just annoying. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It's as if you know, hey, we don't really even want to go there. Let's keep this very generic, and right, uh, and perhaps right. it won't get touchy. Um, that's a great example. So we've got intensely competitive marketplaces. You know, regardless of service or product. I mean, everything is just. It feels intensified here, especially with a lot of the turbulence over the last couple of years. So there's a lot of uh, brand noise out there. And of course, um, the uh, folks that are really um, given the power to take brands and, and really establish some sort of differentiated positioning in the market, you know, it's challenging out there with all that noise. What are some of the things that, that make it so hard to truly stand out and differentiate today. Yeah, I mean part of it is just everybody's doing it. And and which is great, you know, it's a it's a buyer's market so to speak from from a consumer perspective, right? So it's like everybody's trying to compete on customer experience. Again, some are doing it very well, some are doing okay. Um but everybody's trying and I th I think for me that's a win for again for the consumer i think that's a win for businesses Com competition is a good thing and i think it's driving every every business to to strive harder and it's the challenge i think or one challenge that's happening is you know covid um exacerbated a lot of a lot of challenges but it also challenged a lot of companies to do better in digital and really accelerate things. And, you know, for all the terrible things that happened during a global pandemic to focus on a, a positive would be 
a lot of brands got their acts together in in a digital way that I think accelerated. And I've heard others say the same is like, I think it's accelerated things by years in the matter of months, just because they kind of had to, and and they were, you know, they were able to, to focus on, on those digital channels. So, you know, I think we're going to see, I don't think things are going to accelerate quite as quickly with the pandemic, you know, dying down and, and they're, they're being focuses on a lot of different things. So I don't think it's going to accelerate as quickly, but we are going to see, you know, continual competition in this. And, and also one of the big things that, that I'm seeing and, and reading a lot about other people talking about it too, is a little bit of a shift away from um, new customer acquisition to loyal customers and customer lifetime value. That's certainly one of the things I talk about in the book is uh, new customer acquisition always going to be important. Um, by no means does that mean it goes away. But as someone who's been doing sales, I mean, you know, owning my own agency and doing sales to some degree for 20 plus years, everybody knows that it's easier to keep an existing customer than it is to win a new one. And it's less expensive too. So I think that focus on customer loyalty and lifetime value, some industries, some companies have a head start on that. But I think that's a big thing that we're going to just continue to see more and more of. Yeah, it's back to this this whole idea of investing in relationships and creating greater stickiness with yeah. that. And when you got a leaky bucket, and you're you know, and you're just that that sales teams chasing after uh, constantly filling the leaky bucket. There, there is kind of just a a reality that um, that's not sustainable. Right? You you get the burnout because the whole acquisition process. You get burnout of teams, and 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 again, it's just not not sustainable in terms of just trying to maintain that high level of new customers coming in. So more of that shift internally, and it's probably, I would think, Greg, by shifting more to those existing relationships, it's probably creating even a deeper awareness of some dynamics around what that experience is more than maybe they had before when they weren't as focused on that. Would you say that there's kind of this new awakening or, or kind of deeper and maybe more self-reflective insights, you know, realistic, constructive than there was before. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, this is part of the reason I, I really got into customer experience in the first place. I mean, you know, I was coming from really a marketing new customer acquisition mindset with yeah. the, with the agency. And, you know, one, one of the things that frustrated me as a, as a marketer was, you know, I, I thought my team did uh, phenomenal jobs, good, great client partnerships. But, you know, sometimes we would get hired to brand something or market something and the product just wasn't great, Um, you know, or the customer experience wasn't great. You know, it was a good idea. It was a good brand, but the execution on, on their end just was lacking. And so, you know, I, I, I kept kind of looking into that, like, what if, you know, the experience was amazing and they had this great branding and marketing and, and stuff. And so just got me more and more curious. And I mean, eventually that also led me to the customer experience can only be so great if the employees aren't engaged and, and all that stuff too. So it kind of drove me deeper into employee experience too. But, but yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's causing some reflection of like, well, why, why do we have so much customer churn? You know, why do we get, again, our marketing and advertising may be amazing, but nobody buys again, nobody re-ups their subscription, all that kind of stuff. So what are we doing wrong? And, you know, there's just, there's too much choice 
these days. I mean, there's there's disruptors to disruptors at this point in in some industries, and you know, so companies just can't afford to be noticed, be you know, be in in you know, be remembered. They've got to have that experience that's sticky and 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 great. Yeah, and he brought up employees, and it is interesting, especially in service businesses, how the attitude of the employees, if you're a customer, you're interfacing with someone at a counter, I mean, airlines are a classic example, but there, there are many others. If, if those employees aren't demonstrating passion and commitment behind the brand, uh, that is something that is transferable maybe over to the attitude and the perception of the customer. So employees do play a, a critical role in really advancing and, and helping strengthen those relationships. And something you've spoken about is the importance of this idea of a customer-first, employee-driven approach. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And so, you know, if you if you talk to leaders or read a company's mission statement or vision or, or whatever, you know, they're they're always going to say the customers number one, and we love our customers. But what really matters is actions, right? Actions speak louder than words. You know, there's, there's lots of cliches and, and sayings around this, but, you know, as, as we were saying just now, it's the employees that really make the difference in, in that customer experience. You know, leaders need to lead and leaders need to lead by example, and they need to prioritize the right things and set an example in, in doing so. But it is employees that are driving the customer experience. And when it's done well, um, I look at it as this kind of this virtuous cycle of creating a great customer experience becomes the motivation to do a great job that, you know, they want to do that when companies do this well, everyone's job and, and job description and their role is really reframed in terms of what is their relationship to the customer. And so that becomes a motivating, motivating point to them and delivering that customer experience becomes the reward. So, you know, it's both motivation and reward when it's done well. And, you know, to, to the point about the, the frontline employees, definitely, you know, that, that is, that is very easy to see that, you know, if your hotel airline restaurant and, and a frontline employee is disengaged on their phone, instead of, taking your order or, or listening to your complaint or whatever, that's, that's, that's really easy to see. I would t- definitely take it a step further though in, um, you know, let's take an example of the, the software engineer that's in a dark room somewhere writing code. You know, how many times have you used a product online, some SaaS platform or something, and you're like, man, whoever designed or, or created this really has never tried to solve the actual problem I'm trying to solve with this software. So, you know, if you have a, an engineer or a UX designer or, or somebody like that, that really doesn't understand the customer and doesn't see getting that customer what they need as critical to their success, then, you know, how can, how can they lead, uh, you know, towards a great customer experience? So, you know, so what I mean by, you know, employee driven is like enable your, uh, motivate your employees with great customer experience and then enable them to just do great work, get out of their way as a leader or a manager, allow them to do great work, but know that they're being motivated by creating a good customer experience and that part of their reward, obviously they're getting salaries and all that good stuff too, but part of their reward is 
in delivering that and seeing that and, and make that something that's, that's front and center. And so that's, that's, that's what I mean by that, by that term. Yeah. Interesting. And it's probably not real easy to do, even once you make an intentional commitment to want to be more focused on the employees. And I've, you've lived through it. I've lived through it being an employee of, of some really large technology companies. It's one thing to say words and, but then actually put the behavior and actually get the consistency and the sustainability of those initiatives going. So it's, it's hard work. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, and again, this is where leaders, leaders play a key role in backing up their words with actions and priority. You know, the, the leaders aren't necessarily doing the work, um, but they are prioritizing what gets done and why. And so, if you keep saying, yes, we need to have a great customer experience, but the priority is always let's cut costs and let's, you know, cut corners and, and all that kind of stuff. What kind of message does that send to your employees? It, it tells at, at best, it tells them, let me find as many efficiencies as I can. And that must be doing a good job here. If the priority is let's create a phenomenal customer experience. And however we measure that, if it's lifetime value NPS, CSAT, whatever, whatever those, those measurements are, if that's how I'm graded as an, as an employee, give me some freedom to, to do the right thing. And, and, and then you've really got an engine to create a good CX, but to your point, um, it's, it's not done, you know, the incentive structures are, are not always set up to do that. And I would say rarely set up to do that consistently. Yeah, that's true. And speaking of leadership, Multiple times you've been in that CEO seat, you've co-founded a couple of companies. So you, you've been in that leadership role. From your perspective, what truly is exceptional leadership? Yeah. And, you know, I, I will say I've, I've as you mentioned, I've, I've been CEO a couple of times. I've been a leader in, uh, several times. I have lots to learn here my, <laughs> myself, but um that in itself, I think, is is part of what being a leader is. Is uh, you know, I ha- I had to learn humility on uh, many numerous occasions. I learn humility every day, I guess. But you know, I had to learn humility and on numerous occasions to just realize that you know what, my job as CEO isn't to know all the answers. It's not to tell everyone what to do. Um, it is to make sure that everyone can do a great job and surround myself with people that are smarter than me about all of those things, particularly the areas where I'm weakest, but even things where I think I'm strong, that's a, that's a, that, that's a dangerous path as well as to think, you know, more than you do. And so, you know, I, I had to learn that lesson many, many times and, and, you know, I always had great teams and, and, mo- you know, most as understanding as they could be some, you know, but, that I think that's a tough thing for leaders, especially, you know, I, I was a CEO at a couple smaller organizations. And so when you're in a very, very large organization, there's even more pressure to be right. And there's competitive nature of people, you know, swooping in to, to take a job. And so, you know, it's, it's a, it's a complex thing to maneuver of, you know, how, how do you lead with humility and, and the understanding that your team is really, is vital to your to all of your success and at the same time maintain that kind of edge of I want to grow. I have a trajectory here. So, you know, I, I can't say I have the answer there, but it's a, uh, it, 
you have to acknowledge that you you are never going to find all the answers yourself. So you have to get creative on on how you find those and how you work with others to 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 do that. Yeah, really, really um, excellent uh, point there around the humbleness, you know, which is just realizing, hey, I don't know everything. And so that continuous learning journey, I mean, we're always, we're always on that. I think everyone, CEOs, VPs, directors, what, what have you. I mean, that's just a, that's a human reality that we're talking about in terms of this continuous learning journey. And from the perspective of learning over time, I'm sure that you have been offered advice along the way uh, from others, trusted advisors of your own. What's the best piece of business advice you've ever received? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say it's it it goes beyond business even, but you know, I I, I forget who even said this to me originally, but uh, I, I use it in in many ways, and just just because you can doesn't mean you should, right? There's there's so many opportunities that to do things if you're a I'm you know fairly ambitious person and and I I love work so. Um, you know, I don't mind putting time into things, but I had to learn. Um, I, it wasn't early enough, but I had to learn early, <laughs> fairly early to start saying no to things, to start focusing a little bit more because, yeah, again, you know, I love learning too. So doing something new for the first time, um, you know, is, is a motivator to me, but, you know, just because I can technically do it, whether it's I have an extra hour in the day or I have the curiosity to do it doesn't mean it's a good idea. And, you know, that that goes back to prioritization of of efforts with yourself as well as with your team. So, yeah, that's you know, I, I always try to before I embark on something new or sign myself up for something, I always just kind of remember that of like, OK, should I be doing this? Um you know, even, even though technically, again, I may be a good fit for it. That's the eternal question. I think you're, <laughs> you're speaking to a lot of us when you say that it definitely can relate to that. And you're obviously spending a lot of time looking forward and thinking about the future. What makes you optimistic when you look ahead? Yeah. I mean, you know, I think when it comes to technology and marketing and, and customer experience and, and all those things, I, I would definitely consider myself an optimist. I'm not necessarily an optimist about everything, but I think when it comes to those areas, I, I definitely am. And, you know, so I, I think what one thing is, is what I touched on earlier, which is I think that competition and just fierce competition for customers to have a great experience and, and become loyal. I think that only benefits the customers and I think it only makes businesses better. And so, you know, to me, that's, you know, that that's a win-win across the board. And and I, I would say win-win-win because for from the employee perspective, I think it gives employees more purpose in what they do. And, you know, purpose can mean a lot of things. Uh, you know, I've worked with nonprofits before and in my career, and, you know, that's a different kind of purpose, you know, a cause. But I think we all, whether whatever kind of company we work with, we want to have purpose in, in what we do. And, and so I think, you know, serving a customer, I think that's a great purpose to have. I think from a technology perspective i mean you know there's every day there's a million stories about ai and and doomsayers and and um as well as um those saying positive things about it i i think 
there's a lot of there's always a lot of of good and bad stuff going on in the in the technology world but i, I do believe and i'm optimistic that you know humans are um generally out for for best intentions and there's there's always some some bad players and, and everything like that but i think that we're going to find our way with some of these tools and, and technologies that are a little bit new and, and undiscovered territories. But I think technology has just a huge potential to impact us in positive ways. It certainly already has, but, and, you know, mixing that with marketing and customer experience, I, I think there's just tons of potential and I'm, I'm excited about the, the challenge. Yeah, no doubt the rate of innovation just seems as, as strong as it's ever been. And when you were talking about purpose, the thing is with this current or next generation of workers entering into the professional world, right? The Gen Z. And then I think I, I've seen, what is it? Alpha is, the, is what they're yeah. projecting as the next group after that. But it, it feels like the bar has been raised in terms of their expectations. So when they're deciding who do I want to work for? Who do I want to give my time, my effort, my energy? They're holding companies to a higher bar, right? In terms of social impact. So whether you like it or not, if you're not able to offer meaningful purpose, you're going to have a harder time competing for the best talent. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think um, I would say the younger generations, I'm a Gen Xer myself, but you know, the younger generations get a lot of um, the the press when it comes to wanting to find purpose in their job, but they're they're not alone. I mean, boomers, Gen Xers, you know, the, everybody wants to feel like what they do all day is has some kind of value, right? And I think um, I I applaud the millennials and the Gen Zs and the others for speaking up about it. Um, you know, we, my my generation gets a lot of um, flack for our apathy and. And and whatnot, but you know, I, I applaud the, the the younger generations for speaking up and and holding brands to task for it. And and so, again, not every organization is going to have a purpose like a nonprofit does uh, that is completely cause driven. But there's lots of things they can do. I mean, there certainly you know ESG and 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 things like that are are one component of it, but. Not everybody has time to even, you know, volunteer for, you know, corporate social responsibility campaigns or, or things like that. And so, again, serving customers, doing the right thing for people that are spending their hard-earned money, like that is a purpose that I think everyone, regardless of where they sit on whatever political or socioeconomic spectrum, you know, I think that's something that everybody can get behind. Yeah, I think you're spot on there. And so boomers like myself and just personally, the time that I've spent in the nonprofit space and social emotional learning and really making an impact through through our schools and and, and really just transforming lives of, of kids um, through that has been some of the most rewarding of my career, you know, and, and being able to still apply some of the uh, professional skills, but also feel like you're part of something bigger in terms of mission. And so, yeah, even some of us boomers can get it too. So yeah. thank you for pointing <laughs> that out. And so as we start winding down on our conversation, Greg, do you have any other final advice for leaders that are looking to both elevate the performance of their teams, but in doing that, having a more meaningful impact on customer experience? Yeah. I mean, so in, in the, in my book, House of the Customer, um, just really quickly, I go through four North Star goals, which are, you know, for most brands, uh, 
they are not attaining all of these right now, but there are, they are things that I believe to, if we're talking about the future of customer experience, brands need to pay attention to. And so, you know, just, just really quickly, you know, the, the first one is this one-to-one omni-channel personalized experience. We talked about that at the beginning of the show of just, you know, I get things that are relevant to me. I give information in, you know, and in order to get that, um, that, the, the most tailored experience that is relevant to me. The second would be the the trust component of that, the first party data strategy, which is, you know, again, I give information, but I expect to be able to trust those that I give that information to. They're treating it, they're treating it, they're good stewards of my information. The third is the customer lifetime value model that that a company would have that and really truly understand what the lifetime value of a customer can be and and should be. And then the the last, the the fourth goal is an agile customer-centric culture, which you know we talked about quite a bit with the talking about employee experience, which is agile meaning nimble, not necessarily I'm an agile certified coach, so I've been through that all that training, but it doesn't necessarily mean we're all scrum masters and, and things like that, but it means we're nimble, we're adaptive, we are continue we're open to continuous change. And we have a customer centric focus that gives us purpose in our in our roles. And I think if you focus on those four things as those North Star goals, you're going to be on the right path. You may be further along with some of those than others, but you're going to you're going to get there if, if you can focus on all four of those. Timely and relevant advice. Well, thanks again, Greg, for coming on and sharing your perspective on customer experience and the opportunities for companies and leaders to really make transformational impact with their customers and achieve some stronger competitive advantage. Yeah, thank you so much. Really enjoyed talking with you. And a reminder to everyone to please continue to give us the gift of feedback. Go out, rate, and review this podcast. You can do that easily on all the major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And as always, make sure to visit marketimpactnow.com for the latest in business leadership perspectives. So long until next time.